A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. So trauten Schabes at the guitar. Out of the 24 who were killed, were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Lusak. Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Welcome, everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geberer with another episode, and this in honor of the yard site, actually the 101st yard site of Reb Chaim Brisker, a very um, big yard site. Last year was the Centennial, so this is the 101st. And um, speak a little bit about him and his legacy. It's interesting, several years ago, um, when I was still in the Mir Yeshiva, I guess about... Uh, 10, 15 years ago, I don't remember exactly, 10 years ago probably, there was a Leviah, a funeral of um, a man from New York, from lived in Lawrence in his later years, named Rabbi Yankel Nyman. He was uh, a rabbi, and I had interviewed him a few years before he died. He died at a very old age. He was 100 years old, and I interviewed him in his house in Lawrence a couple of years before he died. And he had a lot of stories, a very interesting life. He knew a lot of uh, famous people and and all that. And a couple of years later, he died, and his Levaya was in front of the Mir Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. And again, you're talking about someone who uh, had an accomplished life. He had, it was a career rabbi in Chicago and other places. And knew a lot of people, and yet every person who got up and spoke about him mentioned one thing. They mentioned other stuff also, but this seemed to be a, a recurring theme in all the hespedim that were said at his levaya, and that was that he was probably the last person in the world to have seen Reb Chaim Brisker, Reb Chaim Soloveitchik, the Rav and Brisk, the Rosh Hashiva in Valozhin, and the, this this fellow, this Rabbi Naiman, had grown up in Brisk, and when he was a child, he was, I don't know, eight, nine years old or so, I don't remember exactly, he helped Reb Chaim load up his wagon, he was traveling somewhere, and uh, Reb Chaim thanked him and blessed him, and he had an interaction with him, and that was, that was his memory of Reb Chaim as a young child. And, and he was the last person, supposedly, to have seen Reb Chaim, to have remembered him. And that was something they pointed out. And I remember standing at this Leviah and saying, I mean, this 
it's not like a major accomplishment of his life, right? I mean, it, he didn't really do anything to to earn that interaction. There were probably thousands of other people around who, his own time, who met Rabbi Chaim and saw him and talked to him. And why is this such a major emphasis that people are putting to by his Leviah, that he was the last person to see Rabbi Chaim? And the conclusion that I came to, and I don't know if I'm right or not, but this was my own feeling from hearing all this, was that we as a people, especially a people of tradition, and this yearning for the past, this connection to the past, we we're, we want to touch it, we want to feel it, we want to get back to that previous generation, to some of the great people and personalities, and we want to be able to have that connection. And here there is a certain connection that was severed, that we lived in a world until yesterday, where there was someone amongst us who saw the great Reb Chaim Brisker, and there's no longer that connection left in the world. There's no one left, seemingly, that, that had seen Reb Chaim Brisker. And that, that's it. We lost a certain connection to the previous generations, to the greatness, the great leaders of previous generations, by the fact that we have, don't have this connection to Reb Chaim Brisker. And that, to me, showed the love and the respect and the awe that, that, the, that, that the Jewish people have for Reb Chaim, so many years later, someone with so much influence in the style of learning in the yeshivas and the great uh, leadership and the uh, care that he did for his community and his people. And therefore, it's something that's exhibited even so many years later in the loss of someone who had even seen Reb Chaim. Now, ironically, on the tours, it's, uh, it's the opposite. He's almost the most common gravesite that we go to on the trips to Poland uh, because he died in exile from his town, his community of Brisk. It was during World War One, and initially when the front arrived, World War One front arrived in Brisk, he refused to leave, um, but the conditions became impossible there. Brisk was on the front lines, and eventually when uh, Lenin, after the October Revolution, the Bolsheviks took over Russia, and Lenin's main promise to the Russian people was that when he becomes in charge, he's going to end the World War I, which was made, made, him, made Lenin so attractive. And he makes an agreement with the, with the Kaiser of Germany that he's going to end World War I. Whatever the Kaiser wants, he'll do anything to end, end the war. Russia needs to get out of the war. And the treaty that ended the war on the Eastern Front during World War I is called the Treaty of Brest-Litvosk which is the Russian name for Brisk. Uh, Brisk was the, way, it was the name in Yiddish, what Jews called it. So Brisk was definitely at the center, uh, central place during World War I. It's also a big city. It's not a small little shtetl. And Reb Chaim eventually, during the war, was forced to move out of Brisk. And he goes to Minsk. Um, his health deteriorated there. He, um, he, he, didn't care for himself. He was totally dedicated to the welfare and the well-being of others. He refused to accept any financial support from anyone else around there. He said, there's so many people who need more help than me. Why are you bothering to help me? He utilized the opportunity of him being in Minsk, where for a period of time his student, his close and beloved student, Rebarch Ber Leibovich, who was the Rosh Hashiva in 
the other yeshiva of Slabatka, Knesset Beis Yitzchak, and they were also in exile in Minsk before they went further down to the Ukraine, to Kremenchunk. So Reb Chaim gave some shiurim to Reb Baruch Ber's yeshiva in Minsk. But eventually, towards the end of the war, he ended up in a suburb of Warsaw called Otvatsk, which was a resort area. His health was failing, and he died in Otvatsk. And they bring him to the great Warsaw Jewish cemetery to be buried in the same Oihel, in the same place where his wife's grandfather, the Netziv of Valazhin, where Chaim, when he was the Rosh Yeshiva in Valazhin, was together with his wife's grandfather, the two great Rosh Yeshiva of Valazhin, the Netziv and Chaim, who were grandfather and grandson through marriage, eventually come to be buried together in the same uh, Oihel, in the same area in the Warsaw Yisakfar. So the great Reb Chaim Brisker ends up being buried in Warsaw. Almost every trip ends up, if they're in Poland, they end up in Warsaw. And therefore, we go to Reb Chaim's kever very often. In fact, one real Litvish group uh, told me that uh, that we would have skipped out Warsaw. It's, it's just all about Hasidim and the Holocaust. It doesn't interest us that much. We want to go see the yeshivas. But what can we do? How can we even think of skipping Reb Chaim? So we have to go to Warsaw to be able to daven by Reb Chaim's kever. So I showed them that there was a little more to see besides for Reb Chaim's kever, but of course that was the highlight. So that's, that's, that's a, a central place, a very often visited place for all the groups. And of course uh, his story is an important story. Not only that, but when you go to his refurbished uh, kever, Besides for the fact that it's next to the Nitziv, and on the way you get to stop at all other, through the walk through the history of Warsaw Jewry and see many of the other great leaders of Warsaw Jewry, but also on his refurbished uh, headstone on the Matseva, it says there that he's Rav HaChesed, and then it says that he was Sar HaToyra. And uh, this is something that he asked to be written on his, on his Matseva. In fact, there's a version that he asked that it only be written about his chesed on his matzeva, and they should leave everything else out, all the other praises out. Well, they didn't leave all the other praises out, but they wrote first that he's the Rav HaChesed. He was a tremendous doer of chesed, and he, he, that was his life, he did chesed, and only afterwards does it say that he's Sarah Tyran. And the collective memory of the Jewish people, Reb Chaim is remembered as the one who trailblazed a new Derech Halima, the analytical style of learning, which I'm not getting into, um, but it was the mainstay of the yeshiva world till this very day. People go with the brisker way of learning, Reb, Chaim, Reb Chaim's way of learning, which was mainly in Valazhin. He did not really have an official yeshiva in Brisk when he was the rabbi, even though there were uh, people who studied by him in in Brisk in his later years, but for the most part it was his shiurim that he gave in Valazhin. But I guess since the name Reb Chaim Velazhiner was already taken a hundred years earlier by the founder of the Velazhin Yeshiva, so they couldn't call Reb Chaim, uh, uh, Reb Chaim Soloveitchik Reb Chaim Velazhiner. They call him Reb Chaim Briskel. He was the Raven Brisk in his later years, so that made sense as well. In any event, so the main feature that he himself saw in himself was the fact that he did chesed, that he cared for others. In fact, when he became the rabbi in Brisk, he um, uh, did not want to paskin halacha. He didn't want to paskin halacha, and many uh, believed that it was because of his fear for paskin halacha. He was nervous, he did not want to do it, it's not a, a job he wanted to take upon himself. 
Rav Zevin explains his, his uh, not wanting to pass in Allah because the great, brilliant mind, the goyim that Rav Chaim was, made him a creative thinker, and he thought out of the box very often, and the psak halacha that he would come up with was very often not mainstream, and that's why he didn't want to be regularly paskening halacha in his community, because he wanted for the normative community life, communal life, it should be someone who has a more of a mainstream approach. As an example, um, we'll say that he once supported a, a uh, in the leadership of the Warsaw City Council for the Jew representing the Jewish community, he supported the candidacy of a secular Jewish leader to be representing the Jewish community in the in the kehila in the Jewish commu- in the uh, leadership of the Jewish community. He wasn't just secular; he was somewhat assimilated, an assimilated Jew. And Reb Chaim Brisker supported him. And when asked, "How do you support some?" Someone like that, who's assimilated, who's far from traditional Jewish life, his answer was, he's being brought into a job to do a specific job of leading the Jewish community, financing, management, administration, all the jobs that he has to do. It looks like, and from looks like, it seems like his experience and his personality is that he'll be good for this job. He'll he'll do he'll do good. He'll, he'll do a good job. And therefore, the fact that he's traditional or religious is irrelevant. It doesn't play a role in the decision. The question is, will he be doing a good job at what he's supposed to be doing or not? And if he's supposed to be doing, and if he's going to do a good job, then we support him. Who cares if he's religious or not, or how religious he is? So that was definitely an out-of-the-box way of thinking, even though, if we think about it, logically, it does make sense. So it's also the, uh, the idea of the famous, became a famous brisker feature, and it's the uh, subject of many brisker jokes till today about how machmir of Chaim brisker was about health and how one shouldn't fast if one even feels slightly sick. These were a lot, not the most mainstream ways of paskening shilas, and therefore Reb Chaim brisker brought in a dayan to be the one to be paskening the shilas in brisk, and that was the very famous Reb Simcha Zelig Rieger, the Brisker Dayan, who remained the major Paisik of Brisk and of major areas of Poland and Lithuania, even after Abchaim passed on, till through his son, uh, when Revelvel of the Brisker Rav became the Rav there, Abchazela continued in his position. Someone once asked Abchaim, if you're not Paskening Shilas, then what does it mean you're the chief rabbi of Brisk? How does that express itself? The main job of a rabbi is to Paskin halachic questions. And here you're not asking any questions. You brought in Reb Simchazalik. So what does it mean you're the rabbi of Brisk? And he said, I don't understand. The rabbi is not about paskening Shilas. Anyone who knows halacha properly can paskin Shilas. The job of a rabbi is to help the widows, is to help the orphans, is to make sure that there's justice, so that people are taken care of, and to be a leader of, of, your, of your flock. You're a leader of a community. To be taking care of the needs even the physical needs, the emotional and spiritual and social needs of the community. Paskening Shilas is a technicality. And the main job of a rabbi is to take care of the orphans and the widows, the almanis and the asaimim. That's what he said. And that's exactly what he did. He was the, literally a father to his community. The people who remembered Reb Chaim, he, he talking about someone who was the great Goin, the great, the biggest Lamdan, the, the one who, you know, he, his Derech Halimud captured the world, the way he taught and studied Gemara and he, absolute clarity in the way he spoke over is that no one was as clear as the way he would, 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 would say his Chiddush, would say his Shir in Gemara. 
And uh, someone like that, who who is entirely, uh, you know, in depth in the Gemara and the Torah that he was learning, he was also a very personable uh, person to be around. He would schmooze, he was funny, he was able to say a joke, he was a very a very easy person to schmooze with and uh, and trade stories with. And he was someone who was Me'uravim Habrius. He was someone who got along with people well and he was a people person, which is also interesting that he was able to combine both features and that's how he saw himself, like I said from his Matseva, that he's the Rav HaChesed, someone who's there to do Chesed with others. One of the interesting things is, though, is that the two main features that people remember about Reb Chaim is mainly, of course, like I said, his Derech Halimud. And the second thing is, like also we've been elaborating on, is his chesed, his, his being a, 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 a rabbi in his community for, to take care of the ones in need. And there's really a third aspect of Reb Chaim, of the story of Reb Chaim, which uh, shouldn't be neglected, and that is his leadership in the Jewish world. He was a very, very strong and dynamic leader. He took very strong stances. He was a bit extreme in many of his positions. Rav Shach said a story about how Rav Chaim, when he became, first rose to leadership position, he had stage fright, and it was hard for him to speak in public. And he overcame his stage fright. He would talk about how he would go white and his knees would shake, and he wouldn't be able to speak in public, but he felt he had to. He felt he had to take a stance on the hot issues of the day, and there were many of those in the Russian Tsarist Empire, and he participated in many rabbinical conferences. In fact, at one of the rabbinical conferences, he was so extreme in one of his views that he disagreed so sharply with one of the other great rabbis of his day, the Ar Sameach, or Meir Simcha Akoyen of Dvinsk, that he refused to even look at him. He, would, he screamed out his position, he was very forceful in his position. He gave a whole speech. And when the Arsameach got up to speech, to speak, excuse me, Reb Chaim turned the other way. He refused to even look. And that's how extreme he was in his position. And then later on, when the conference was closing, he left his hotel room with his son or his attendant. And he said, we're going to pay the Rameir Simcha, the Dvinska Rabba, the Dvinska Rav, a visit. We're going to say goodbye because the conference is closing. And he said, you're going to say Goodbye to the Arsameach. You know, the way you, the two of you went at it at the conference wouldn't make you the best of friends. And he said, what do you mean? The Arsameach, the Rameir Simcha, is one of the great leaders of the generation. He's a great rabbi, a great Talmud Chacham, a great manhig, leader of Klal Yisrael, and I have to pay my respects to him. The fact that I disagree with him is on an ideological level, and I'm allowed to disagree with him and state my position. One of the interesting partners that Reb Chaim had in his extreme positions against rabbis studying Russian, against any form of accepting any changes into the cheder system, into the education for Jewish youth of that time. He was very, very conservative in his views, very anti-Zionist, very anti-any modernity. He was very, very conservative, especially compared to other rabbis of his day, such as people like the Meir Simcha of Dvinsk, and others who were less extreme, who might be considered more liberal, um, most of the rabbis, Reb David Friedman, Reb David Karlina, Reb Tzilopanovizer, and Reb Chaim took a stronger stance, and one of the only people who, who tended to agree with him was an interesting partner he had, and that was the Rashab, the fifth Rebbe of Chabad, 
the fifth Rebbe in Lubavitch, the one who started Taimchei Tamimim, and he was also a fiery personality, a dynamic and charismatic leader, very similar to Reb Chaim in certain ways, obviously. And he also, and the two of them, actually had a lot of joint projects together. Reb Chaim Brisker was involved in the founding of Agudas Yisrael. <laughs> Excuse me. There was correspondence between him and Yitzchak Isaac Halevi, the famous Jewish historian who had studied in Valazhin and who somehow was the bridge between East and West, Eastern Europe, where he had grown up in Minsk and learned in Valazhin, and West, where he had now lived. He lived in Germany and was, um, was you know, well-read and educated, and he corresponded much with the Western European rabbis and wrote several volumes uh, um, a history book called Doire Surishayim, an interesting personality. And Yitzchak Isaac Halevi was one of the founders of Agudas Yisrael um, before he, he tragically died quite suddenly before it could really get off the ground. But the idea, the germ for the idea kind of um, started with him. And also correspondence that Reb Chaim Brisker had with Reb Shlomo Breuer, the son-in-law of Reb Shamshim Rafal Hirsch and the rabbi of Frankfurt, and Reb Chaim discussed at length about how to get this off the ground, and he attended the Katowice Conference in 1912, which was the founding of the, of the Aguda. And Reb Chaim later withdrew his support of the Aguda. He didn't, wasn't exactly excited about the way it was turning out. Um, he, he said, supposedly he said, I don't know if it's actually 100% true in this, in this exact language, in this Nusach, but he said... I thought we would start the Agudas Yisrael together with, with the German Jew, with Jewry, the founders of Agudah, with German Jewish Balabatim from Frankfurt. He said, I thought that they would provide the funding. They were businessmen from Germany, and they would come to us for advice on what to do, because we're the great rabbis of Eastern Europe, and we should provide the spiritual leadership. I soon found out that they want funding from us to pay membership dues to this organization. So they want us funding from us, and they plan on giving us advice. And that I wasn't so interested in. How true that saying is, I'm not sure, but it's definitely attributed to him. And in his later years, he did not seem to be interested in, 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 uh, in getting the Agudis Yisrael idea off the ground. It's too early to really know for sure, because it was too, he died at a time where it was too early to know for sure, because he died in 1918, uh, at the end of World War I, before um, it was possible to really know what was going to be the direction, what was ha- happened with the Agoda. So he had relationships with other great rabbis of his day, Rebbe Yechayim Meizel of Lodz, who also learned with him in Valozhin, um, Rebbe Gordon of Tells, and other, the great communal rabbis of Russia, and he took a leading stance on many issues of the day. So the leadership of Reb Chaim is also a facet of this amazing personality. So this, um, and, and that's, the, that's really the story of Reb Chaim. So here, this is uh, Yehuda Geber of Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, and of course, tours and trips to be the next one by Reb Chaim's Kever in Warsaw and other great places around Europe. And you subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Don't miss an episode and follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites. And I hope you enjoyed.